For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. They say to throw the records out in rivalry games, and that sure was the case in Blacksburg on Monday night, where Virginia Tech demolished UVA. We'll talk about that and the passing of an ACC legend this week on Teal and Barton. Welcome to episode 136 of Teal and Barber, our Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 15-time Virginia Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you? Mike, I see we both made it home in one piece. Yes, and, and neither of us eased into our day back from Blacksburg. You just got off the Peloton, if I'm I'm not mistaken, and I just got finished moving a dresser for my parents. So uh <laughs> n- nothing like following a road trip up with a little uh, a little physical labor, a, a little, little manual labor, yes. Yeah. It's good for the soul. Now you could have just ridden your bike back from Blacksburg and, and multitasked <laughs> it. Is that is that a little more distance than you would tackle? Afton Mountain might have been a little too much for this old man. Well, I, I, maybe on a on a normal day, but after a long <laughs> night of work, I'm sure it would be would be tough. Uh, what what kind of distance do you do, David? Uh, well, this afternoon I just went ten and a half miles. Just yeah, I, I get tired driving ten and a half miles. <laughs> I, I'd say that's pretty impressive. But uh, is that your your usual workout, or do you have a no, I usually go a little longer. Today today we cut it short because of the pod, man. We and sacrifice for the pod. The listeners appreciate <laughs> it. We're going to do our best to to make sure it's worth uh worth your cutting your workout short. David, before we launch into Virginia and Virginia Tech and and what we witnessed in, in Blacksburg Monday night, uh we lost a, a coach, a coaching legend, really, and Lefty Drizel uh, over the weekend, a guy that I got to know in, in my 10 years in Harrisonburg covering James Madison, and your time with Lefty goes back way deeper than that. David, what, what did Lefty mean to college basketball? Oh, wow, Mike. He was he was larger than life. He, he, he personified unique. I mean, it's such an overused word, right? But not in Lefty's case. There was... There was and is and never will be anyone quite like the left-hander. And he he reveled in that uniqueness. He didn't shy away from it. He was this big, balding, bombastic Southerner from Norfolk, Virginia, who burst upon the college basketball scene, not at Maryland, mind you, but at tiny Davidson College outside of Charlotte, this small little private school that had had just minimal basketball success. And all of a sudden, lefties got him in the Elite Eight in back-to-back years going toe-to-toe with Dean Smith. And that's what got him the, the, the Maryland job and just a remarkable career. And then went on, you know, after Maryland and the, and the tragic ending with Len Bias, which, by the way, is not on lefty, but he was forced out because of that. Went on to James Madison and Georgia State, you know, took both those programs to the NCAA tournament 
won more than 100 games at all four of those stops. And just this wonderful soul who was a joy to be around. Mike, he made me fall in love with ACC basketball because here I am, a kid who just moved to Baltimore. I didn't know anything about ACC hoops. And here comes Lefty giving the V sign for victory like Dick Nixon. And they're playing Hail of the Chief when he strolls into Coldfield House. And I was just transfixed. And now a mere, what, 40-something years later, you're still just as hooked as as the day Lefty got you. Could there be a bigger uh, personality discrepancy between Lefty Drizell at Davidson and, and Bob McKillop at Davidson? I... Oh, my, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, 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 Mike, it's it's great that you bring that up, and, and I'm almost certain that I'm correct on this. The first time that Davidson won an NCAA tournament game post-Lefty was Steph Curry and Bob McKillop. That's a long time. There was a gap between those two, no doubt. And um, I know I've told you and and I've shared this story with others, but, you know, I got to know Lefty when I was covering James Madison and he had a... uh, a controversial ending in, in Harrisonburg as, as, as well. He was fired, you know, just short of 700 victories. Uh, and it, it left a rift between him and the powers that be, Ron Carrier, the university president, who was so involved in JMU athletics and, and building that up. And uh, it was basically a, a feud. And I, I was sitting with Ron Carrier kind of many years later. Lefty had already gone on to Georgia State, had already won 700 games, and had already retired. And, and Ron said to me, you know, the only thing I regret really from my tenure is, is firing lefty short of 700 wins. And I didn't know it at the time, but I went back to my office and my former sports editor, uh, Chris Simmons told me, Hey, that's a big deal. That, that That's not something that they've ever acknowledged. And I told you this, but I, I called lefty to get his reaction and he was, he was pulling out of his garage and he kept, he was narrating the garage door going down. He's Oh, hold on one more second. Just another second. All right, I'm on my way out to dinner. What did you need? And then I told him, I said, well, you know, I just wanted your reaction. Dr. Carrier said that, you know, he regrets firing you short of, of 700 wins. It was a milestone. You could have got a JMU and lefty said, huh? He said that, yeah, maybe I'll give him a call. <laughs> and, and that was apparently the end of the feud. So, uh, my, my little claim to fame, I guess, in Harrisonburg, but lefty certainly was uh, very gracious to, to all of us in the media and, and just a joy to, to hear him talk about basketball and life. He, he, he really was Mike. And that's a great word joy to, to be around. And I was fortunate enough. Uh, I attended his basketball camp That's as so a kid. Cool. So cool. And as as I like to joke, I won the free throw shooting championship two years in a row. The only interaction I had with Lefty was when he handed me the trophies at the end of the camp. He did not offer me a scholarship, being the sa- sage recruiter that he was. But to to have been in San Antonio at the 2018 Final Four when Lefty's election to the Basketball Hall of Fame long overdue, to be there that day with Lefty to see Tom McMillan, his great star at Maryland, who flew in for the occasion. And Lefty was so gracious and so grateful for, for that moment. 
and just to, to to sit with him that day, just a couple of reporters. And we just sat there and reminisced. And at the time I was working in Newport News and of course, you know, lefty got his head, you know, got his head coaching started at Newport News High School where he won back-to-back state championships. And he's talking about that squad. And it was, it was wonderful. I'll, I'll never forget him. I still have that day's interview on my digital recorder. I will never erase it. That's a good one to to lock it if your recorder allows. And you mentioned the, the, the word joy with Lefty and, and a joy to be around. There was a lot of joy in Castle Coliseum Monday right? night, David. Uh, that's a I think for my money, I think that's a great venue all the time. It really rocks, but it was extra juiced for a game with UVA, a rematch. Uh, Virginia had already beaten Virginia Tech in Charlottesville. That game was 65-57. David Lynn Kidd had two points in that game. Sean Padula had seven turnovers in that game. Jordan Miner had 16 for UVA. Could we have seen a more different rematch Monday night in Blacksburg? Mike, I'll raise you a few contrasts, too. Blake Buchanan had eight points in that Virginia victory in Charlottesville to give he and Miner 24 total. And... Melijah Poteet only had two points for the Hokies in that loss. So they got outscored 24 to four, basically at the, at the five spot at the center position last night, flip the script, Poteet and kid combined for 25 and minor and Buchanan combined for five on one of nine shooting. Yeah, I mean, is it as simple as to say that's the game? Because as you wrote in your column, that certainly was the way they set the tone, the Hokies did. They came right out, right out, went right to kid. And, you know, I I talked to him after the game, and uh, I got my schedule jumbled, so I was alone with him in the interview room because (laughs) we were all supposed to be with the coaches at that point. And and I I said, you know, what was your kind of motivation? And and he was sort of dismissive of the fact that, okay, he didn't have a great game. He just chalked it up. I didn't have a great game last time. And I said, well, was it on your mind? And he said, well, the coaches made sure it was on my mind. They reminded me about it. Um, So he had a little extra fire it's well known and documented on this program that i'm a big lynn kid fan I, th- I think he's really good but he came out he went right at jordan minor he scored a bucket then he blocked his shot and then he drew a foul and then tony bennett did what he said all right this isn't working blake Quick hook yep less than two minutes into the game and david blake didn't fare I- any better and, and you mentioned Poteet, uh the same contribution so it didn't dip for tech when, when uh when they had to make a substitution, that was part of it. I thought Virginia Tech, though, David, defensively was mm-hmm. just outstanding. Couture on McNeely. Was huge, was huge. And and what was so huge about that particular matchup, since you brought that one up, is so many teams in their attempt to defend McNeely have, yes, they've run him off the line. Yes, they've been physical, all the things that Couture did, but they've thrown another defender. They've they flashed out at him. With Couture locking him down, you didn't have to do that. And I thought what was masterful by Virginia Tech, and to be fair, I think we saw this in the road loss at Wake. I think we saw it in the home win over Wake for Virginia and the pit game is an ability to not just take away McNeely and then lose track of Jake Groves or give Beekman open threes. I thought those teams committed to not defending McNeely's threes, but UVA's threes and taking that part of the game away. Virginia only attempted 12 threes, two of 12. I mean, that's Virginia's not going to win any 
games of significance going two for 12 from deep. Mike, last and Virginia's had some clunkers this year. Last night, by far the worst. And and not the 34-point margin. Yes, that, that's jarring. That was as bad as I've seen Virginia defensively and as bad as I've seen them offensively on the same night. Now, maybe they got it all out of their system on one night. I, I, I don't know. I, I know that's the hope of, of their fans and, and coaching staff. But Tony Bennett afterward, I was really struck by his comment about when we're not right, separation happens. And you would hope at this stage of the season, it still wouldn't be happening. That's a paraphrase. Right. But it did. And you could tell. And number one, his voice was hoarse. I, I'm not sure he's not under the weather a he, little he bit. He is. And he's going to be more under the weather after watching that tape. Yeah, he's not going to feel any better, but we, we did see him uh, plowing through cough drops during that game. I assume that's what they were. And he was putting the wrapper on the scorer's table and an assistant was taking it and throw it in the trash. But, um, you know, it, it's a really good point by you and, and, and by Tony because, look, Virginia wasn't good in the post for the first month and a half of the season. That's old news. They had fixed that. Uh, the fact that it came back and you say, okay, it, it feels a little bit like the old uh, cartoon where there's a leaky dam and, and the you know guy sticks his thumb in and then the hole pops somewhere else. And it, yeah. that hole felt like it was plugged. So to see that pop up in such a way, and we're going to get into this uh, probably after the break, but their next matchup, if you can't defend in the paint, Ooh. has a potential to get real ugly too. Um, but yeah, I thought that was was important, was was massive. I thought, you know, the way that they limited, they being Virginia Tech, limited their turnovers, right? I mentioned Padula had seven. Um, did he have one last night? I don't think he did. Uh, that is impressive. He, he did not. He did not have a turnover. Virginia Tech had seven as a team, three of them by, uh, by Collins. MJ Collins. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I think that was, going into the game, the keys I said were, the matchup with kid versus minor and the subsequent substitutes, however, they match that up. And could Virginia turn over Padula or could Padula be steady and get them into a rhythm? And uh, I think everything that you would look at, Virginia Tech won. So, David, I, I thought Virginia Tech played close to like a perfect game. I mean, I mean, that's it sounds like hyperbole, but I really can't find fault with game plan, execution, effort, uh, the big moments. And, you know, Isaac McNeely talked to me after the game about the fact that, hey, you go into Castle, there's certain things you got to make sure you don't do, right? You can't give up uncontested dunks or, or big threes because it's going to get the crowd going. And he said, and I, like I said, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, we did all of that. All the things you don't want to do, we did it. And their crowd got on its feet. Absolutely. And Mike, who would have thought that Virginia Tech could even beat Virginia, let alone beat them by five touchdowns with neither Hunter Couture nor Sean Padula scoring in double figures? But you use the word perfect. Listen to a couple of these stat lines for some of the for the Hokies. Robbie Barron, four for four from the field, two of two from three, three of three from the line, four rebounds, 13 points, one turnover, three block shots. Tyler Nickel off the bench, 13 points, six assists, one turn. Dude, th th those are some 
sweet numbers for from your role guys and and that's what that's what they got and mike young was like essentially saying where the hell's this been all year and and he said this is a very simple game that we have complicated at times this season and and this is a direct quote and has frustrated the hell out of me yeah (laughs) i get it i mean we watched that game monday night david and if i told you you know the the old blind test one of these teams is considered in the NCAA tournament field right. and one is considered a long shot. I mean, it's clearly the Hokies. So that brings me to, to the next thing I want to ask you, because I think we've seen Virginia Tech show they can play really good basketball. They've been inconsistent this year. Like Mike Young said, some days they just muck themselves up. Uh, what can Virginia Tech still get done this season and how dangerous will they potentially be in washington dc at the acc tournament well i think their danger level at or radioactivity if you if you will in dc will depend on how they finish the regular season now if you're asking me what virginia tech needs to do to get seriously in the at-large discussion i think the Hokies have to run the table i don't think they can lose another regular season game now, you look at the schedule. They go to Pitt on Saturday. That, to me, is the linchpin. That's the toughest of the five remaining. At Syracuse, it depends on which orange show up on a, on a particular night. Home against Wake Forest. We just saw what they can do at Castle. At Louisville, please, you can't lose that game. And then home against Notre Dame. I mean, it's given Virginia Tech's mercurial nature this year, the odds of them winning all five of those games are steep indeed, but taken separately, it 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 seems doable. What I love about that stretch, David, is I, I like when I look at a league and how strong is a league, who's good, who's where. I kind of break them into groups, right? I would put Virginia Tech probably near the bottom with Syracuse of the group that has Wake Forest and Pitt. Those are the teams yeah. that when they're right, I'm like they're pretty darn good. And, and they've all got a different storyline, right? Wake Forest getting Efton Reed laid off the waiver. Demario Monsanto coming back, laid off injury. They're a different team than they were earlier in the year. Pittsburgh, Jeff Capel has done a phenomenal job, I think, of developing and, and finding an identity uh, for that team. Uh, you look at those teams and you say, okay, they're all in the same boat. They're all trying to save their season. I think that's going to be a phenomenally entertaining three-game stretch. I have no idea what the Hokies are going to do in, in any of those three games, but I think you're right. To, to, to be in the conversation, uh, they're going to have to run those. And then, you know, you look at Louisville and Notre Dame at the end, and, and you say, hey, here's the deal. If you can't beat those teams, you didn't deserve to be in the tournament. No, absolutely So let's not. see what you do with the even competition, and then beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Yeah. Mike, Virginia Tech's one and seven on the road. That's, that's a disqualifier, most likely, from the NCAA, you, you got to win some more road games. That's why the next two are so immense. Yeah, and and they are winnable, but they are losable. I mean, they are to me, they are coin toss games, um, and we could delve into some of the matchup things. But I think it's just a question of what Virginia Tech do you get, what Pitt do you get, what Syracuse do you get? Do you get the Wake Forest team that can score ninety a game, or, or the one that got? kind of shut down in a matchup with Virginia. I mean, it's there's just a bunch of teams there that are unknowns. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that we all think Virginia's in the NCAA tournament. Mike, I had, you know, some friends of mine who went to UVA 
they're apoplectic. They're they're in full throated panic mode to to the point where if we don't beat Carolina, we're not going to make the tournament. And you know, if they lose to Carolina, here's the thing: style points are going to matter, and you'll have to excuse the fighter jets flying over the house. I don't know if you can hear them. But if 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 they get run by Carolina and run by Duke at Cameron, ooh, it it could be a little dicey for the Cavaliers because if you think about it, Virginia has two quad one wins by a total of four points. Virginia has four quad one losses by a total of wait for it ninety points. Yeah. And as we've gone into before, when you're talking about the net, right, efficiency ratings play into that. When you get beat by 30-something points, that hurts. When you score 41, that hurts. When you give up 75. So last night, it wasn't just about losing at Virginia Tech. In fact, what was the jump? UVA was 41 in the net going into that game. They fell all the way to 50. They fell nine spots. While Virginia Tech went up nine. Correct. They went from uh, 62 all the way up to 53. So uh, you can have these big swings. It isn't just winning and losing. So, David, let me ask you this, then, as we're talking about Virginia. If they lose to Carolina and they lose to Duke, but they beat Boston College and Georgia Tech, are they in or do they go to D.C. with work to do? I think they go to D.C. and better not mess up. Better not have a bad loss. Do, do, Do not give the selection committee more ammunition as i've you know as as we've talked about many times on the pod trying to project what team a has to do is very difficult because you don't know what teams b c and d are going to do not only in your conference but also across the country but for, for virginia fans to have a relaxed is the wrong word but a calm selection sunday where they're not mm, are we in are we out um they, they really could stand to beat either carolina or do get that one more marquee win i think there's gonna be a lot of virginia fans nervously sipping their green beers on on saint patrick's day this year but we'll get into that much <laughs> deeper here after the break without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Remember, you can subscribe to Teal & Barber on Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite pods. And before we took a break, we were talking about the NCAA tournament outlook for Virginia, for Virginia Tech. Let's get into that a little more, David, and let's get into the picture for the ACC because here is my contention. And and I sat at breakfast this morning with our friend Gene Wong of the Washington Post, and we talked about, I said, hey, look, I think people have Carolina, Duke, and probably Clemson at this point kind of firmly in the field. Most people have Virginia there. But I think you can make the case that that Virginia could very easily end up in a, a pack, in a pack with Wake Forest and Pittsburgh in terms of being considered. It makes me think that if you're the selection committee, you're, you're going to take somebody, 
right? I think the ACC is not going to get less than four, but it, it, it makes it become a comparative game where you say, okay, do I want Virginia or Pittsburgh? Well, David, we just saw those teams play. Do you want Virginia or Wake? We saw those teams play, but they split a season series. So it, I think it's going to be really interesting, one, how the committee views the ACC, and two, how the committee splits up the ACC, how they rank these teams. Uh, what is your kind of gut feeling, not on who's the best, but who on who has done the best, who has the best resume? Again, I think Carolina and Duke are, are clear. I would say Clemson's next. Yes. W- where do you go then after that in the pecking order right now? I would say Virginia is still next right now. Uh, just based on road record, uh, although although Pitt is six and two, what's what's going to hurt Pitt is not very many quad two games and a, and a non conference strength of schedule, Mike. That is three forty seven. If you're going to play that week a non conference schedule, you better tear it up in your conference. And right now the Panthers are only eight and six. Their game tonight at Wake. I hope you got some sleep because it's a nine o'clock tip. But we need to stay up and watch that bad boy because that has NCAA implications for forty minutes. It's going to be you know the Deacons are unbeaten. At, at Joel, but we we just mentioned Pitt has won six road games this season. Man, Hunter Salas, you've got Blake Henson coming off a 41-point game at, against Louisville the other day. Man, I, I need I may need to take a nap just to get me to nine o'clock, but I'll tell you what, I am staying up for that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that game. I have a sneaking suspicion I'll be watching it on my phone, sitting in a rocker in my son's room because he's been having a little trouble getting himself to to sleep of late. But yeah, and that game is a perfect illustration, though, David, of what I'm talking about is how does the league, how does that pecking order look going into D.C.? And then who gets what done in D.C.? This is an interesting question, too. And obviously, you want to win as many games as you can. You want to have the best record you can have. That's simple. If you're a Virginia, though, I think you could make the argument that a double buy in D.C. could actually hurt their NCA case because they're going to play a team that ostensibly we would pick them to lose against in their first game. They're not going to pick up a quad to win before they take potentially a quad one loss. Now, obviously they could win and, and that would be the you know icing on the cake, put them over the top. But I'm saying in big picture, I almost wonder if you aren't better off being the five, maybe picking up a quad to win, having some positive news about you there at the end of the year and then going and, and, and playing Duke or Carolina and, and maybe struggling. It's a, it's an interesting thought and you know, who would be the five and you know, the what, matchup. what's their, the, the matchup and all that, which you can't project it at this point. I, I, I will say one thing about the selection process, Mike. Now this isn't going into the minds of each individual committee member but conference affiliation is irrelevant you you are not you are not ranking teams in a conference we're they're not saying okay we have three acc we're going to take a fourth who is it that is absolutely not how it works ever they they, they do what is called these these cross country rankings where there's a mix of teams from all over and you are ranking them and virginia may be up against i don't 
I don't know, take a bubble team from anywhere, somebody from the Mountain West or 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 Buzz Williams in Texas A&M. They look like they're squarely on the bubble. Well, Virginia beat them head to head. So am I ranking Virginia ahead of A&M? Uh, th- th- there's so many things that go into it, but, but rarely, if ever, does it come down to, okay, we have like two spots left and there's or, or one spot left and there's two ACC teams vying for it. Um it it just th- that's not the way the process unfolds. It's not, although it is interesting when you look at um, I think Patrick Stevens' bracketology this morning uh, and Joe Lenardi's. They both had Pitt and Wake in that last four out, Did next four out. So they are very, and, and that's again to your point why yeah. tonight is is so fascinating. I think the ACC teams more than in past years. I think that group of bubbly ACC teams are really tightly packed. And I think there is going to be some parsing of, okay, we probably are picking one of these two. Who is it? Uh, now, obviously, a lot can still change uh, between now and then. It's funny. We save four or five games left, but a lot can move. Uh, David, as we think about D.C., because I know my answer, I think Miami is the ultimate wild card in this tournament because I think Miami, when they're healthy, is, is still formidable. Now, they haven't been healthy. They haven't had the, their starting five for much of the season. They have no depth whatsoever. So when they're out, somebody, they're just, they go from being, I think, excellent to being very questionable. They don't defend anybody, which doesn't fare well in tournament settings. But if I'm an ACC power, I would say the team I don't want in my draw is Miami. Who else do you view in that light? Syracuse and NC State. I mean, j- just look at look at them recently. NC State at Clemson on, on Saturday. DJ Horn goes crazy, and he can do that to you. And if he goes crazy and then burns down low is is, is going, it has it going, that's a formidable combination inside out for Kevin Keats's crew. And then Syracuse, we saw it when they beat Carolina. And they shot 60-some-odd percent. Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling were basically unstoppable against the Tar Heels. That's a group that teams that can score are are the ones that scare you and in, in, in multiple ways. They can beat you from deep. They can beat you on the interior. NC State and Syracuse, to me, fit that bill much like Miami does. And I actually think Syracuse to me would be scarier than Miami because Syracuse actually, at least on occasion, does defend, whereas Miami rarely, if ever, defense i i haven't seen it maybe maybe i missed that game if they did defend once but yeah <laughs> i'll tell you what's interesting though for me about miami is they are and i haven't done the math but i don't know if they're locked in but they certainly look like they're going to be playing on tuesday mm-hmm. to me they are far and away going to be the favorite in their matchup there's a different couple iterations but every way i look at it i like them against who they would be paired with if they're healthy and they have their five guys, and they have to play on Tuesday. They're a team that can build some momentum. Now, I'm not saying they're going to win it, but I'm saying could they win two or three games and send somebody home that really needed a win for their NCAA tournament resume? That's why, to me, Jim Laranega's group, I I am just fascinated by what they're going to do in D.C., and it, it, I don't know their temperament, right? It may be such a disappointment coming off the year they had last year with the star power they have this year that to go in and play on Tuesday, maybe they lay an egg. But they feel like the kind of team that could salvage the the reputation of their season with a big run, and they've got 
a chance to build some momentum against, I think, some mismatches. Mike, the big thing with the Hurricanes, and there may be an update that I'm not aware of, but when we talked to Jim Laranaga on the Zoom yesterday, the team doctors were going to meet with Nigel Pack and his parents to discuss maybe shutting it down for the season because Pack has a back issue and it's clearly hampering him he's had a couple games here of late where he has not even had a field goal and we're we're talking about somebody that when he's right is a 20 point a game guy so to to me any chance that Miami would have of making some waves in DC hinges on that young man's well-being yeah, no, the latest update from Laranega was that Pack was not going to play Wednesday night against Duke, but they were hoping to have him for the weekend. So okay. potentially good news there. Uh, Matt Cleveland didn't practice yesterday for Miami. So they, they just, oh my gosh. I mean, they just haven't had, he's dealing with an illness now. They just haven't had those five pieces. And like I said, they have no depth. So when they don't mm-hmm. have them, but um, no, I think, I think DC is going to be fascinating, but there is some really important basketball to play between now and then. Dave, before we get out of here, let's talk a little bit about Virginia's matchup with Carolina. We mentioned it during the talking about the tech game. They didn't fare well in post defense against Tech's guys, and I'm as big a Lynn kid, fat as they're on, but as there is, but Armando Baycott is better. What are they going to have <laughs> yeah. to do against the Tar Heels and Armando Baycott? I think they're going to have to double him. Don't 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 you think they yeah. they're going to they're going to run traps at him now? Baycott has become much better at passing out of traps. He 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 doesn't hesitate, and he's 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 quicker to to get it out of there. And then they are going to have to make sure that R.J. Davis and and the rest of that group doesn't start going off from three. And th- that include you know Ingram can can beat you in the mid range and beyond you know it's 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 not just the backcourt. So man, that's the Tar Heels have traditionally not fared well at at JPJ. I get it, and they too have been prone to some clunkers. You know, we just mentioned that you know the game they lost at Syracuse. You know, they've had they've had some head scratchers, but uh, it's it's going to be a serious challenge for Virginia defensively to get right now. Oh, and by the way, Carolina has the whole week off. Yeah, just just what you wanted—a well-rested Armando Baycott and RJ. I think what's going to be interesting, right. and, and you just you just hit it there. If you're going to go ahead and double Baycott, I think you have to be very careful who you do it with. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can afford for Ryan Dunn, who is you know the most dynamic of the post trap guys, to be there. I think you need him on the ball at times, and I think you need him cleaning up mistakes at times. Same for Beekman. You can't afford to lose him on the perimeter. So to me, it's going to have to be like the Andrew Rohde position, whoever's in that spot, and and the double team is going to have to be minor, keeping him away from the basket, and when they throw it into him, Rohde coming down. It it can't be one of those, you let him behind you and the help comes. It's got to be minor pushing him out, Buchanan pushing him out, and then Rody coming back to swipe at the ball because I don't, I just don't think you can afford anyone else in your defensive structure. And I still worry um, the way Virginia sometimes gives up three pointers that if you start with your post trap, you leave yourself open there from the perimeter. Oh, you you absolutely do. I mean, they're going to have to bank on Carolina missing some shots. Some contested, some won't be. But if if Carolina is shooting it well, especially from the perimeter long, long afternoon and early evening, 
in Charlottesville for the home team. If Bakeman, if Bakeman gets the Davis matchup, which he may, um, could it be, is he playing for a spot on the first team all ACC at that point? Because I think RJ's probably, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but probably the, the runaway player of the year in the conference. Mm-hmm. He is. So, I mean, to me, this is Beekman's chance to remind everybody how valuable defense can be. Indeed. And, you know, he's he's had his moments offensively as well. Mm-hmm. Last night was one of his worst games. Yeah. And it was one of Ryan Dunn's worst, too. There were a couple of moments defensively where I'm like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Remember that foul in the backcourt? Yes. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. He, he gambled to go for a steal to try to get momentum. He didn't get it. And then it was like, I'm going to keep trying. And it was over. Like, the moment had passed, and he yeah. ended up getting that third foul. Yeah. yeah. And no, it was it was so uncharacteristic and for, for someone so gifted defensively and who clearly will be on the league's all-defensive team. But it, it just goes, you know, athletes are as fallible as writers and uh, you know we, we hack it up uh, more than we'd like to admit and man they had a rough night well hopefully we didn't hack it up too much today thanks for <laughs> listening you can subscribe to teal and barber on apple podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods and please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the times dispatch today's show was produced by dean hoffmeyer and yours truly for david teal i'm mike barber thanks for listening Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.